Good morning. So good to see everyone. And uh, we will be uh, beginning in Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6, Gospel of Mark. That's the second book there in the New Testament. And it is good to be here with you today and uh, just thankful for uh, all those who put so much into worship from if you've been sitting there and putting into the singing and appreciate that and it's just a good encouragement um, I just were thinking when we were doing the the version of just as I am uh, how God made our minds and and our memories and, and things that we connect to and I was just kind of taken back in time to Jacksonburg Church of Christ and hearing uh, different songs and learning different songs and it's just a great memory to latch on to. Uh, especially when things may not be going great, uh, and it's a good reminder to do those things. It's kind of interesting this morning as we get to ready to look at uh, a little bit of Elijah and Elisha and their comparisons in the New Testament with John uh, the Immerser and Jesus. And uh, it's kind of wild, it, and I'm, I guess what I'm going to try to do today is not confuse it or make it any more muddy than it is, but help you to understand why uh, some of these people in the New Testament would have had difficulties with the identity of John the Baptist and Jesus. It's always kind of made me scratch my head when, you know, John the Baptist himself, like, sends his people to Jesus to go, okay, are, are you who he thought you were, and back and forth. But when you start looking at the layers of the two, actually the four, you kind of go, okay, I get it why there was some confusion there. And then throw in the fact that we are 2,000 plus years later and live in a completely different area of the world, and it takes a lot of digging. Uh, and so even when Jesus turns to his disciples and says, you know, who do they say that I am? And well, some say you're this guy, and some say you're this guy. And really the answer is what Paul says. He says, yes. I'm, I'm all that uh, and more, and uh, I think today we'll spend a little time trying to connect those four, and so I guess right out the gate I'm telling you there's a lot of overlap on both, and really the symbolism here we get with Jesus is that exactly what John says is at baptism, I am unworthy to untie your shoes, much less baptize you, and so he gets it, he's right, but then also we can connect with him that there are doubts from time to time. And I guess the thing is, is like when we read the Bible, you need to understand that doubt is a part of the equation. If there are times where you get, you know, I just don't know for sure on this, uh, that's going to be part of the journey and the pathway. And so that gives us hope today that if you're sitting there and you're going, I don't get any of this, we will connect it all to Jesus. And Jesus is the yes. Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the perfection. He is the one who's come to redeem us from all of our confusion and you can trust in Him. And so we look at just thinking about some of the criteria. And I guess the main point, and I'll tell you up front, is to understand that Jesus is King and Jesus is the, the prophet, the teacher, the it, right? The yes that Paul talks about. I believe it's in Colossians chapter 1, right? You find your yes in Him. You find what you need in him. So if nothing else, as I tell my elementary school kids in chapel, if nothing else, this is what I want you to get, right? If you miss if all my rambling, doesn't make a lot of sense, understand it's the same thing for me, right? I've, I've, I've thought about this a little bit and thought about it over the years. And so 
Uh, if it doesn't come out right, just please forgive me. So there's my repentance right out the front. Uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 17, we get criteria for leadership for Israel. And those criteria, especially for the kings later, that they would use to determine which kings were good and which kings were bad and which ones were worse than others, uh, is the following. First of all, worship the God of Israel alone. Did they worship the God of Israel alone? Uh, did they rid Israel of idolatry if it existed in the area? And were they faithful to the covenant? And once again, we get our yes in Jesus. He does all of those things. The Spirit comes along and rids us. If you are a Christian today and you're still breathing air, then there is an aspect of what God is doing for us is ridding us of the idolatry in our lives. And we look at the Old Testament and go, man, that's somewhat brutal sometimes in, in the way that they went about that. And if you've lived as a Christian long enough and you've submitted to the Holy Spirit or not submitted to the Holy Spirit, you probably have experienced those times in your individual walk with Him where He says, no, I'm not going to allow this to happen and I'm going to keep coming at you until this is the light shines on that darkness and it is removed. And then we see as the kings, right, if you look at uh, 1 Kings 9 through 11, you see that even Solomon himself had failed at many of these. And the point there is that Solomon now looks more like Pharaoh than David. And yes, David had his mistakes and he messed up on a lot of these, some of them. And, and so, but he looks more like a Pharaoh someone who's putting people into subjugation, people who are somebody who's worshiping another god than he did David. And that, my friends, is an issue. It is a problem. But it's also a question, can we ask ourselves, right? Who do I look more like? Do I look more like Jesus or do I look like this world? And we live in a world who says you can look like Jesus and you can live however you want. And that is a falsehood. That is straight from Genesis chapter 3. When Satan shows up, like you can honor God, but you, know, you can live however you want to live. You can do whatever you want to do. And, and we're to the point now that we look at our sin and we don't go, that's where the punishment comes from. We look at God and go, oh, God is punishing me, right? But there are consequences to poor choices. And so it's our sin that deserves the blame. It's my poor choice. It's my, my attitude in this, but we can never, we never accept the blame, right? There's no way, but that's repentance. Confessing is accepting. I've made poor choices. I've, I've done wrong. When God showed me what He wanted, I chose the other option. I went the other way. And so then we see the role of the prophets begin. And their roles are not necessarily telling the future all the time, although that is very much an aspect of that, but it's to speak on God's behalf. To speak on God's behalf. Once again, these are all things that we can look at our life and go, you know, judge ourselves and measure ourselves. And to some degree, yes, we're always going to be lacking in these things. But are we shooting and allowing the Spirit to have its sway in our life to where we speak on God's behalf? We are covenant watchdogs with me first. right? I'm looking in the mirror going, okay, and comparing myself to the perfect law of liberty, which I'm always going to come short on. But the ability to admit that is really the first step. Like, I know that I don't have everything all together, but I know the righteousness of God, and I trust Him, and I look to Him to guide my life. And then we call out idolatry 
and we and injustice. We should, above all people, because we have the perfect law, be able to point at things and go, that is not right. And not only is that not right, as most human beings can do, but now we have the righteous person to point to. That's not right because God said. That's not right because Jesus lived it this way. He gave us the example. And so we get to Elijah. And once again, I don't want to come out and say that you know, this is exact process. I'm going to point out some of the things they had in common. And once again, a lot of these overlap one another. And the point is, is they all point to the yes in Jesus. That Jesus is all of this, all of the righteousness, all of the goodness, all of the perfection that Elijah and Elisha couldn't do, that Paul the Apostle couldn't do, that can only be found in Jesus and allowing His Spirit uh, to indwell us, to be not hostile towards that, the thing that he wants for our lives. So we look at Elijah, you can look at his entire uh, level here at 1 Kings 17 through 2 Kings in chapter 8. Uh, and so I want you to understand that this book was originally written as one piece. There wasn't a first and second, it was just Kings, as far as my knowledge is concerned, uh, which is limited, but it's one story here, right? And I think the whole Bible is really one story. We're, we're a part of that narrative but we look at Elijah and look at some of the connections to John the Baptist, right? We have Ahab and Jezebel. Uh, Elijah shows up and says, you're going down, right? It's, the, it's coming. Your time is coming to a close. And God is going to bring that about. And so as we look and get to Mark chapter 6, verses 17 through 19, I want you to think about that relationship there in 1 Kings 21, Ahab and Jezebel. We get to Mark chapter 6, and we look at verses 17 and 19. For it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother uh, Philip's wife, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted him put wanted to put him to death, but she could not. And of course, we know that eventually uh, he he loses his head over this situation. Uh, but that's the aspect. There's this relationship that is not appropriate. That is uh, out of, within the law of, of the Old Testament, the law that God gave, keeping the covenant. And here we have. Uh, John the Baptist, much like in the case of Elijah, and I'm totally going to get those two names mixed up, so please forgive me. Uh, and he shows up and says, no, this isn't right. This is not the way it should be. And, and then we see, even in this story, 1 Kings 21, we see uh, Naboth's injustice. Ahab shows up, takes his land, and kills him. Right? We see that this person's wife is taken uh, from him, uh, and so there's aspects of that. And then we see the idolatry of the priests of Baal. We turn over to Matthew chapter 3, verses 7 through 12, and we find John the Baptist calling that out. And if you're unfamiliar, in 1 Kings chapter 18, uh, there is this, uh, they, they often say a standoff between Elijah and the prophets of Baal. And I tend to look at uh, it more like God showing who's God, right? And that's what we see throughout the Old Testament. Go back to Egypt, right? Like, oh, we worship all these gods. And God shows up and goes, you're worshiping the wrong one and let me prove it to you. Let me show you that those gods are at least ill-equipped to handle what I've got for them. And eventually we get to the point where it says, there is no other God. I am the God who brought you out of Egypt and brought you out of there. And so we see 
John announcing something that is very similar. And I want you to, to as we read this, to kind of pick up those connections there in Matthew chapter 3, beginning in verse 7. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. And I want you to think about how offensive uh, this next statement would be, but how true it is. For I tell you, God is able, to, able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. What's he saying? Your ethnicity uh, does not matter. It's secondary, right? That, I think that's a lesson that we can all take uh, from the aspect of equality. We have a world today that is very pro-tribalism. Like you find the people that you have everything in contact with and have nothing to do, if not nothing, actually be like militant towards someone else for whatever reason. And that is the opposite of what God is calling us to do, right? There is a divining line, those who are in Jesus and those who are not. But who makes that line? He does. And so this aspect of he, he can make ethnic people from Abraham if he wants to, right? It's the repentance. How are you li living your life? Even now the axe is laid to the root, and there's a... Another connection we'll, we'll explore in just a minute. To the root of the trees, every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. And so you see these reoccurring themes, and boy, am I thankful that John the Baptist came, that we don't live in a world today where it's flesh and blood that we are fighting, right? We're seeing that play out on the, national, on the international stage. We're called to take every thought captive, and we allow God to wage war on the sin in our own lives. And by that, and how we love one another, we can bring people to Him. And so I'm very thankful to be living in the era that I am now. Because as much as I might say, oh, I would totally be Elijah in that situation. The possibility of that happening is very nil. Because in my own sin, I have committed idolatry. Once again, anytime we say, oh, I trust this over what God says... It is idolatry. And so he's coming and saying, hey, the fire's coming, but praise Jesus, right? He's come to do it in the way that he did it. Even though they were not upset and confused that he did not come and do it the way Elijah did it. But there's these reoccurring themes, I think, that they would not have missed. Uh, they would still be confusion. Like I said, some of them are like, who's who? I don't know how this works. And and then Paul comes and cleans it up. Jesus, Peter, they all come clean it up and go, this is the guy. And so to make the connection there, right, Elijah has seven miracles uh, recorded in, in the Old Testament. And then we have this guy named Elisha who says, I would like a double portion uh, of what Elijah had, right? And, and some of us may be sitting here going, yeah, that'd be awesome. Wouldn't that be cool? And then we go, and those of us that have lived in the Lord long enough, and we've had those prayers, and He's answered them with yeses, we're all like, well, maybe not, right? Uh, because with that comes a tremendous amount of responsibility. 
I remember reading the story of Solomon praying for wisdom. And I can remember as a little kid going, hey, that sounds like a good prayer to pray. And I prayed it. That was one of the ones I prayed every single day. And he is, he's answered. And, and a lot of times it was yes. And there were a lot of those times I was like, I didn't quite understand what I was asking for. Like, I'm glad I've got it. But man, had I known that you know, wisdom kind of comes with this thing called experience. And not all those experiences are great or feel good. And I won't say they're not great, but they don't feel good all the time. This trusting in the Lord. And so the aspect of seven miracles, and then you see that Elisha has 14 recorded. And that number seven keeps showing up. Complete perfection. And of course we know that Jesus comes along and is exactly that. So you get Elisha's life frame in 2 Kings chapter 3 through 8. And he tells Ahab, time is up. The kingdom of God is at hand. John the Baptist, the kingdom of God is coming. The, the axe is laid. The fire is coming. And Jesus comes along and says, time is up. It's here. It's now. Make the decision. <laughs> and we have a Jesus who does that. We have a Holy Spirit, a word of God who does that today. Yes or no? Yes or no? Yes. And we, yeah, absolutely. Yes or no? <laughs> right? Yes. Yes. Let us find our yes in Jesus we find the healing of Naaman in 2 Kings chapter 5, verses 1 through 14. And then we go back to that Matthew passage in chapter 3, verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness then he consented, and when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were open him. He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. Fire from heaven. I mean, it's all there. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. I love that later in Mark's Gospel or the Transfiguration, he cleans it up even more. Because, right, Peter, we're in Peter's situation here. You know, Elijah shows up, Moses is there, let's build a temple. This is my son. And I love that he adds the, the part at the end. Listen to him. Right? There's, a, there's an action there. Tells the woman caught in adultery. No, no one is here to condemn you. Go and sin no more. I need God to do that. Like, okay, I believe in Jesus. What do I do now? And he always, this is what you do now. Listen to him. He is the yes. He is the yes. We see the healing of Naaman. I could be, I could have done this anywhere, in any body of water, right? And the servant, why don't you just do what he tells you to do? I mean, that, that's what I feel about baptism. So, well, this or that or when. Yeah. Let's just do what he tells us to do, and, and that works out. That works out. It does. And so, so many times we have that same response. And it just doesn't have to be baptism. It's anything. Well, let's do it our way. Maybe it's time we help God out, right? We, we help Him uh, in, in His decision to make this thing work out. And we see that in the Old Testament, obviously. Uh, we see Him purify the stew. 2 Kings 4, 38-44. Jesus' first recorded miracle, right? Doesn't seem like that big a deal. And it's not... Apples to apples, but it's close, right? I mean, there are things that they could look at and go, check, 
chick. There's something about him. Of course, it helps when God once again shows up and goes, this is my son. <laughs> this is he. This is him. This is what you should do. We see the raising of the dead boy. And, and to back up, I forgot, I mean, Jesus himself heals the lepers. Right? He heals them. He puts hands on them. He touches them where no, no one else would have done that, would have had that approach. Could Jesus not have just been like, you're healed? But there's that extra aspect of the healing, that extra compassion, right? You know, people come to us and they need things, and we can give them money, and that's, that's what we should do when, when, we, when we get the opportunity to do that. But Jesus, there's that extra level of compassion that's not, most people would say, not necessary. It's the over-the-top, like, what else can we do? We're looking for the opportunities to be more of the hands and feet of Jesus. Raising the dead boy, 2 Kings 4, 18-37. Jesus does it in Luke 7. The, the widow's son at Nain, or the, the boy at Nain. The floating axe, 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 1-6. through 6. Now, I'm just going to be honest, this may be a stretch. But when you read about the axe there in Matthew chapter 3, and then you think of the confession of Peter where Jesus says, this, this is what I'm going to build the, the church on, this rock, this confession of who I am to confess is the building block of the kingdom. And we see that story where Peter's sinking, Right? And he comes out, he puts him up, but it's first what? Let me, let me come out there. Let me come to you, right? And our focus is often on the sinking, and that's certainly part of the story, and it's wonderful to see, right? We even sing that song, I was sinking deep in sin, far from peaceful river. But the aspect that he stepped out of the boat, right? He stepped out there. There's a level of trust there. We think about the fish, right? Go to the fish, find that coin, right? We'll pay the taxes. In Matthew chapter 3 and verse 10, Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. The 14 miracles. Finally, this morning, we look at Luke chapter 4. Luke 4. And we see that Jesus here is really making a statement on so many levels that we could spend our entire morning looking at Luke chapter 4 and what Jesus says, quoting from the Old Testament here, and unpack it. And we'd have plenty to, to keep us busy. But when we think about the criteria of a righteous king, and we think about the criteria of a prophet, and we could go to the priest, and we could go to all those levels that Jesus checks off the box, we see what Jesus is saying here in Luke chapter 4, verse 17, when he quotes Isaiah, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Now I want you to think about if he said the opposite of what he says here and where we would be today. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim what? Good news. That alone in a world of darkness and negativity and cynicism would be enough to turn to the Lord. He has sent me to proclaim what? Liberty to the captives. He's God. He can proclaim whatever He wants, right, Blake? He can do whatever He wants, when He wants, and how He wants. 
But Jesus is here telling them, this is what I'm here to do. Good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now the question is, what do you do with that? I know what they did with this in Luke 4, and they weren't happy about it. Their answer was no. You are not those things. And because you've claimed to be those things, we will deal with you as Elijah dealt with those prophets. But they were wrong. The answer that we all have to make, and it really is every day, right? I've been a Christian since I was 12 years old, and there are days where I woke up and I said, Yes, Lord, I find my yes in you. And there were days where I said, I'm not so sure. I kind of want to do it my way. And there are going to be days like that going forward. I'm sure. There will be moments. But see how we live our life every second is our response to that question. Yes, Lord, You are that. You are what we've been looking for. And I, You have the words of eternal life and I will live my life in that way. The successes, the failures, the times where I look back and go, oh, I can't, I can't even look, I can't even think about what I did in that situation and how bad it was. He still says, I proclaim liberty to you. The perfect law of liberty. And so today, wherever you're at, whether you're sitting there and you're going, I've never been more close to God. The question is still being asked. Yes to Jesus? Or maybe today you're sitting there and going, I don't know which way is up. I have no idea. I thought I knew, but I don't know this identity. Let me encourage you, wherever you are, lean into Jesus. Look to Him. He asked that question. Are you going to leave me too? And, and Peter's response comes to me just about every day. Where will we go? You have the words of eternal life. So if you're just more confused than you were at the beginning, I want you to understand and go back to what I meant. Your yes is in Jesus. So if there's a way today, we're going to sing this song of encouragement because that is our tradition. That's how we close and, and to offer the opportunity to share. We have shared time. And if you are a baptized believer in Jesus and you've been serving Him and you, you, you see the mistakes in your life and things aren't always the way they want to be, welcome to the club, okay? But you have an opportunity to share as we pass the microphone anything that's on your heart. If it's between you and God, you can do that right now. I would encourage you to do that. Don't wait any longer. Uh, but if you're not in Jesus, then you don't have that access to Him. And I want you to understand, it's not because of me. I would not keep anyone from a knowledge of who He is and how amazing He is. It's simply because you've not accepted Him, you've not done the things He said. And that can happen relatively quickly. And we stand ready to assist you, not be an obstacle, not add extra things. Oops, you got to jump through. We stand ready to assist you whatever that may look like. And we sing this song to encourage you to say yes to Jesus in every moment of life. And so if you have a need, why don't you come now as we stand and sing.